Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. It's game on week because school's starting up tomorrow for you guys right here. Sorry about that. You're ready to roll, right? Yeah, whatever. So much for that. And then Iowa City School starting on Thursday, so it's kind of ramping up around town. You can tell that. So uh, what we're doing the next couple weeks is we're doing a series called The DNA of Parkview. And we, this morning, are starting a series that's going on in three different campuses in our city. We are answering the question, uh, what is Parkview all about? How is Parkview going to make disciples in this year ahead. So if you are a regular attender here, a member, like it's always good to go back to the basics and ask the question, like, why do we do what we do? Because sometimes you can even easily just start playing church. You just start going to church, start going through the motions, and you forget what this is all about. It's also good to go through this if you're new with us uh, this time of year. We get some folks checking us out. This is a great way for you to see uh, what God is going to be doing around here, and we'd love to have you be a part of this. So Uh, DNA of Parkview, the question we're going to answer the next couple weeks is, what's our plan? Like, what's our plan? And really, if you read through the scriptures, I think every church is called to make disciples. A disciple is a student of Jesus Christ, a a person who is orienting their lives around the life of Jesus, who just wants to follow Jesus. I like the way the college ministry puts it. We want to love the things that Jesus loves. Like, we just want to be a people that are all about learning uh, from Jesus. You guys are starting classes tomorrow. You'll have different professors. Thursday, Iowa City kids, they'll have teachers in the classroom. What Jesus invites us into is that throughout all of our lives, he would be our teacher, that we would orient our lives, we would follow him. Our mission statement as a church is that we are pursuing Jesus together in everyday life. And so I believe that if you look at the Gospels, you look at how Jesus lived his life, he had a real plan for how he made disciples. He didn't just wing it. He didn't just go, what am I going to do today? I'll just figure it out on the fly. Like he had an intentional plan. And it makes sense to me that if we're to be a church that's running after the things that Jesus is calling us to do, we should look at his plan, all right? And so... Um, look at it with me. And if you, as you came in this morning, you got a bulletin, there's an outline in there. It would be great to use that this morning and follow along. Uh, Usually when we preach in here this morning, I prefer, and most of the time, we'll have one passage that we'll work our way through. Today we're going to be hopping to a couple of key passages. And the one we're starting with is here in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And it's where Jesus said this. It says that he went up on a mountain And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also called apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Like, if you look at that, you kind of see, okay, Jesus, why did you call disciples to come? What was your plan for them? And you see three steps. He wanted them to come to him. He wanted them to be with him. And then he wanted to send them out to go out and preach and bring hope in a dark and broken world. So, so all three of those are key parts of being a follower of Jesus, coming to him, being with him, and then being sent out by him. And so in these three weeks, we are calling those, uh, these three things. This is our plan at Parkview. We gather to worship, we grow in Christ-likeness, and then we go on mission. So the next couple of weeks, we're hitting each one of those. Today, we're talking about gathering in worship. All right, so let me, uh, before I start, I just want to invite you into a time of prayer. So you guys, I'm going to invite you to pray first, and I'm going to ask you just quietly where you're sitting, just to ask God 
to speak to you uh, this morning about what it means for you to come and worship him, to gather to worship him. Ask him to teach you this morning about coming to him to worship him. And then if you could, could you pray for me to make this message, to make God's word as clear as possible? Ask that God would speak through me, through his word. God, we love you. The last thing we want to do is just play church. We want to do what you're calling us to do. So speak to us today about what it means to gather to worship you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so let me start here with this truth that you see throughout the Bible, is that God has created you uh, to worship him. Out of all of God's creation, I mean, the beautiful things that he made, the animals, the, maybe some of you got to travel this summer and see Rocky Mountains or the Tetons or the Grand Canyon, but out of all that God created, there's only one part of his creation that is uniquely endowed with the image of God, and that's you or me, okay? Like, out of, if you ask, okay, what would, out of all the things God made, the galaxies, the stars, the universe is like, what is it that grabs God's attention? You know, is it the Tetons? Is it maybe the extent of your road trip was Kelowna this summer? Is it Kelowna? Like, whatever it is, like, what is it that grabs God's attention? And I sound like a homer saying this, but it's like, it's us. Like, out of all of God's creation, his eyes are just gazing at, at us, at you. You uniquely are created in his image to know him, to, to relate to him, uh, to be able to pray to him and to know him. Out of all of his creation, you bear that unique ability. You bear the image of God, all right? And so that gives you just amazing, just right there, that gives you purpose, that gives you meaning, like, that's, that's, that's the essence of your life. That's your identity, is that you are created by the Creator to know Him. And, and sometimes we could take that for granted. This summer, you realize, many of you do, that Parkview hosted nine people from China this summer. They were Chinese students and a professor that came. It's the same university where we have sent uh, people since 2004 to go and to lead Bible studies and teach English. And so we had a privilege of having two of the girls from this team stay in our home. And I keep butchering their Chinese names, but their English names were October and Vivian, all right? And so October and Vivian stayed in our home. And so they had been with us for about four days when I came to pick October and Vivian up here at Parkview on a Friday night. And the Chinese group had just met with a local Chinese church. And so in this gathering, a pastor from their hometown it was really cool. God set that up, sat at their table and taught the students the Bible and told his story of meeting Jesus to these students. And so when I picked Vivian and October up that night and started driving home, October was crying and she was sitting behind me and Vivian was riding shotgun and Vivian's English was much better than October's. And so Vivian said, Doug, something happened with October tonight that I think she would really want you to know. Could I translate for her? It's like, absolutely. And guys, this was so touching. She said, tonight for the first time, the Bible touched my heart. Again, this is all through, you know, Chinese to interpreter, but she said this. She said, for the first time, I realized my life is not a mistake. 
Like I am here for a reason and I am loved by God. And so it was a few days after that, that that October put even more together and she put her faith in Jesus Christ. But I just had goosebumps that night, just driving home and just realizing we just take that basic truth for granted that you were created by a creator God, that the creator of the universe knows you and loves you and enjoys your company. Like that's who he is. He made you to know him. He made you to be in his presence. Zephaniah, there's many verses we could have looked at. Zephaniah 3.17 is in your, your outline there. Guys, look at that. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I don't know if God showers, but if he did and he's singing songs, God says, it blow you away that one of the songs he could be singing could be about you. That he just, he made you, he loves you. And uh, that's the essence of the scripture. We read that. So, but as you're reading the story of the Bible, you see those truths in the first couple chapters. But unfortunately in chapter three, we also read that we have sinned against this amazing God. That we said to God that, God, that is not enough. You are not enough. And we did our thing instead of his thing, and that's kind of the essence of sin. And so what's remarkable about this God is in spite of the fact that we have offended him to the utmost with our sin, every one of us in this room is a sinner, and I will go number one. I'll put myself as the worst sinner in this room because I know my sins. I can only kind of look at you, and you guys all look pretty good. But I know my sin. I know the things I've thought and said I'm at the front of the line. Every one of us has sinned against a holy God. But in spite of that, he still enjoys our presence. He longs for our presence. He cannot be in the presence of sin. So you had to do something about that. And that's why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, came to this earth. He came because God pursued sinners like me. He still wanted me to know him. And the only way I could know him is if my sin were taken away. So Jesus came. He was called God with us. And he came and he gave his life. He took away our sin when he died on the cross. So we put faith in him. We can have a restored relationship with God. All right? So, and you see that throughout the teaching of Jesus. His constant tone was, come, come to me. Like the first words we see him speak in the gospel of Mark is that the kingdom is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. So the kingdom's at hand means the king is here and I want you to know me. And so turn from your sin, repent and believe in the gospel that I will take away your sin and you can walk with your king. You can know your king. And so you see throughout the life of Jesus, the invitation to all people was to come. One of my favorite is in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like you see the heart of Jesus there. He doesn't say, hey, listen, don't come to me. If you got a bunch of problems, and all I'm going to hear is like you moaning and complaining. Just clean your act up, and then you can come to me. He's like, no, listen, when you're at your absolute worst, when you are a sinner, when you are broken, when you are hopeless— I want you to come. I want you to come right here. That's the heart of a God who pursues you, who, who enjoys your company. You know, even, even you see throughout Jesus' Jesus ministry, the come to me, come to me, and the people that he pursues and he wants them in his presence, the one that just tips me off, that kind of tips the scales, is in John 17. And that's the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified. And he's praying to his father, 
And I would think, you guys, it's been about three years now he's been doing ministry with people like us, putting up with us. I mean, so much in Jesus could be, I'm almost going home. Man, I know I got to die and rise again, but man, then I get to go be home. It could be away from these people. And in his prayer in John 17, he's like, Father, I just long for those that you have given me to be with me forever. Like his, his, his desire for you to be with him just lasts. That's his desire is for you to be in his presence for all of eternity. And so the Bible is really clear that God enjoys your company. He's been pursuing you. So then you look through the scripture and you see people who understand that. They make their top priority in life is that I want to pursue that God. Like there is a God who longs for my presence. There's a God who loves me, who has gone to the extent of having his son die for my sins. He wants my presence. Like, uh, no brainer. I need to live. I need to go and be in the presence of this God. Again, there are several passages we could have looked at. Let me take you to two. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Just right before this, it talked about like the, the, the work that Jesus did for us on the cross to take away our sin. And so verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Like that's the ultimate result of Jesus dying for your sin is that now you can boldly go into the presence of God and just throw yourself down and say, God, I need you. God, I need help. I need your mercy. I need grace. And you are absolutely welcome right there at the throne of God because of Jesus Christ. Like that, that is amazing. How many of you took, took up that privilege this week? How many of you just literally threw yourself down at the presence of the throne of God in desperation, all right? Look at Psalm 63. Again, just the, the, the most logical response out of the truth that God wants your presence. Look at Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, the truth of the Bible is wherever you are, it doesn't matter. And whatever you're going through at any moment, you can just cry out with a direct connection to the God of the universe and just cry out to him. Your heart can just thirst for him. Your flesh can faint for him. Guys, isn't it true? Like what a description that we live in a dry and weary land. Like on one hand, you look at the land we live in today, Guys, other than the construction, that's a pain. But like you look at all the things we got going on, like all the food choices we have, all the technology, all the access to information we have, all the comforts. Man, I moved to one of my daughters into Catlett yesterday. That's like a motel. That's not a dorm. Dorm doesn't look like that in my day. Okay, so like you guys have an amazing setup. We have an amazing setup in this life. But at the same time, you look, and as a country last year, we broke records for people dying from overdoses and addictions. Like you look and there's records in, in people battling anxiety, using medication. Um, all sorts of barometers are looking. You're saying there are people that in spite of the fact we have so much, there's still a great need in our lives. And, and that's, that's, again, the privilege we have that even in a land that looks affluent, this is a dry and weary land. Where are our souls going to find nourishment? We're welcomed into the presence of God, all right? So, so that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge thing. And so the biggest no-brainer for us, you guys, is to make sure that in our rhythms of life that we are carving out time and that we are entering into the presence of God. 
No, Jesus, Jesus modeled this for us. That the Bible tells us that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places to pray. Again, you would think anybody could have a pass on praying or spending time with God. It would be the one who was fully God and fully man. But Jesus had a very regular rhythm of breaking away and being in solitude with his Father. And so it makes so much sense for us to do the same thing, to, to set up and be disciplined about our time and breaking away to be with our fathers. And so, with our Father. And so... Um, you look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus glean from that? He gleaned direction. He, he gleaned uh, communication with his father and just intimacy with his father. And how much do we even more so need that? I learned those rhythms um, my freshman year when I was at Iowa. I uh, was new to the area and it was pretty cool, but within the first week or so, I discovered the area just north of campus, uh, the Woodpecker Trail. Just go up to Buke Street and hang a right. And somehow I stumbled on that, and I found this rock that just overlooks the res, and that became my rock. And on a regular basis, especially that freshman year, where there were so many challenges to my faith, and am I going to keep following Jesus? It was awesome to have a place where I would just get away from campus and just go and just get in the presence of God, and sometimes just sit, or sometimes just talk, or just read the Bible. But that is, that is a rhythm that Jesus modeled for us. That's a rhythm that we have an amazing privilege to do as God's people, that the God of the universe loves your presence and he wants to meet with you. And so it's, it's very, very logical for us that we would do uh, what Jesus did and follow that rhythm of getting into the presence of God. And so I just ask you, when's the last time you did that? Like when's the last time you just set aside that time and just went for a walk or just went somewhere where it was just you and God. No phone, phone's turned off. Um, it's just you and the Lord. And so that's what he invites you into. And so I would say for a lot of Americans right now, um, with our Western mindset, this sermon would stop right here. And we would go, okay, yep, that's totally it. God loves me, pursued me, enjoys me. I need time with him. I need to be in his presence. And we would just stop the sermon there. And I would actually say that if this whole sermon was a football field, we're on about the 20 or 30 yard line right now, okay? And the first 30 yards are amazing that we get to meet with the creator God and that he loves us and he pursued us. But guys, we're missing out on the next 70 yards. As you read through the Bible, like where this is headed is in the book of Revelation. And if you're the kind of person you can't stand reading a mystery, you gotta read the last couple chapters, figure out how it ends, and then you back up. Let me, let me just take you to the end of the story. What, what, what this is all leading to is when you see in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, a picture of heaven, you see people gathered and worshiping Jesus. People from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. The book of Revelation was written by one of Jesus' disciples named John. And you just sense that as he sees the diversity and the number of people there, he's just struggling for words. That's why he's like throwing out every adjective he can think of, every noun, every way. How do I describe this crowd? Man, there's people from every tribe, language, people, nation. There's such a diverse group of people here that are all there focusing on one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And they're singing, and they're praising, and they're just in fullness of joy, enjoying the presence of Jesus. They are worshiping 
but it's not just a bunch of individuals like with their own like phones and just singing their own playlist. Like there's just apparently one playlist and there's just one object of this worship and it's Jesus. So that's where this is headed. That Yeah, he pursues us individually, but he does that to gather us with others so that together we worship Jesus. And sometimes we're not so good at that part, all right? But let me, let me just take you again. This is a theme that we could look throughout the New Testament. There are so many there's at least 40, and there may be more passages where the words one another are used. Christianity is a one another faith. It's not just a me and God faith. It's a one another faith. But let me show you a couple. Let me just show you two that especially talk about when we gather to worship, okay? So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I'm going to read three verses from this passage. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a couple of things here. Again, just before this passage was the teaching about what Jesus has done, that Jesus has removed sin so now we can come into the presence of God. And so that's where in verse 23, the challenge is hold fast to that confession, guys. Hold fast to that hope because God is faithful, all right? You sense an urgency in the book of Hebrews that, that, that we are, we're urged here to hold on to this. Why? Because we're a people that can forget. We're a people that can let go of what's really important in this life. And so there's an urgency to, to gather together so that together we can remind each other, hey guys, that's our hope, right? Remember, that's our hope. There's a power of doing this together that we, as we gather, stimulate one another to love and good deeds as we gather together and help each other focus on what's really matter, what really matters. Okay, alone, that's not gonna happen. But together, there's strength and there's power in that. Again, an urgency in the book of Hebrews in another place, it warns us that we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we need other people in our lives to keep reminding us that God is good, that God's ways are best. And even in, we'll talk next week about when you gather in, in communities, in community groups, that people have access to your life, that when they see you kind of slipping out, man, they love you too much to let you slip away and they're gonna just pull you back, right? So, so uh, we see in Hebrews 10, that we gather together and help each other cling to what God has promised. So look at another one. Look at Colossians 3, verses 15 and 16. It says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, to God. So again, sometimes we read that verse as in our Western individualized mindset, and we'll say, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Yes, God, rule your peace in my heart. And then let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And we're thinking, yeah, me, I need to be in the Bible. These are all plural terms, like together as a group of people following Jesus, let God's peace just rule in your midst. And so, um, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, this is to all of us. And so the peace of Christ ruling in us. Think of the, there was an Old Testament concept of peace called shalom. 
it meant that your soul is satisfied. Like you are truly, if somebody says, how are you doing? You say, it is good, I'm good. You really mean that. Like to the depth of your soul, you're good. You're not living in fear or worry. It's just good. And that's, that's God's goal is that the peace of Christ would live in us and live in us corporately. Um, last night had the privilege of gathering with some families that are rallying around a situation that looks really dark right now and really hard. And so as we were praying and as there were tears in this circle, like one of the beautiful things that just hit me halfway through is like how awesome it is that as hard as this situation is, that we have a place to go. Like, and even as we laid out as many requests and just asks from God as we could, I just sensed that as we left, there was a feeling, a sense of peace. There's still an unresolved issue here but we have laid this before the creator God. We did that together. And there was a peace that just permeated that room. That's what God is calling us to. And so let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That's where we are gonna have the promises and hopes to cling to, that when God's truth, when he speaks truth, sinks into our hearts, that's when we're gonna have peace, even in the hardest times, okay? So, so I like this too. Look what it says about the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. It mentions two different things, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and then singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's two elements that when God's people gather, there's two practices that we're being called here to so that God's truth will dwell in our hearts, so that God's peace will dwell in our hearts, all right? And those two practices are, are proclaiming and teaching God's word and then singing songs. And so that's why you notice when you come to church and when we gather, those are two things we're going to do. We are going to proclaim the truth of God. We will have a sermon where we preach from the Bible. And then we will have songs where we sing truths about God and about Jesus. That's why John does a good job of songs that he's picking, making sure those songs line up with the Bible and those songs are are very clear theological songs that we are singing truth, all right? And so when we gather, those are two things we do. We preach God's word, and then we sing God's praises. And you know what's unique is that I've, I've had the privilege of worshiping with Christians in a ton of different countries. So India, Japan, Russia, Ukraine, Sudan, Ethiopia, Mexico. I might be leaving one out, but like what, what a common denominator is whenever God's people gather in all those varied places is that there's a proclamation of God's word and there's a singing to God. Like we, you, if you've been a Hindu before or a Muslim before or a Buddhist before, you don't do those things in those faiths. But the, the Christian faith is a, song, is a faith that sings and a, and a faith that proclaims what's true just reading through the Bible this week, like I was reading in Exodus when God led his people through uh, the Red Sea and they got to the other side and he rescued them from Egypt. You know what the first thing they did when they got to the other side? They just started singing. Like they just couldn't, they just started singing. Uh, you again, go all the way to the end of the book and you see all those people from every tribe, language, people, nation around Jesus. Guess what they're doing? They're singing. They're singing about how awesome it is that he died for us, that he took away our sin so we can come into his presence. See, the truth of God is really designed to hit us in the deepest part of our lives, that it just lights us up, that it just brings joy, and we just erupt with song. 
You know, like one of the surest ways you can tell your roommate is starting to date. You know, it's like, there'll be a little bounce to their step, and they might be saying, like, you never sing. Like, what are you doing singing now? Like, who, what's her name? Like, what's going on? Like, why are you, why are you singing all of a sudden? Why are you kind of humming all of a sudden? So when things hit us in that deep place, we are, why do we respond with song? We're going to see this in, like, just under two weeks, 70,000 people are going to gather at Kinnick Stadium, and as soon as a 20, 21-year-old guy carrying a piece of hog flesh crosses a white line, that place is going to erupt, and everybody's going to just start singing a song. People that don't know each other are going to hug each other and high-five each other and, and do all that. And now I hope that happens a lot this year. Like, that's cool when that happens. I can absolutely promise you that when we get to heaven and when we see singing, we are not going to say, oh, that's kind of like when I was at Kinnick and well, Hawkeye scored a touchdown. Like there's going to be no comparison to what that is, but we just catch glimpses here that when something ignites our heart, we sing. And that's, that's what you see throughout scripture. When the angels announced that Jesus was coming to earth, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the story of the birth of Jesus, after they made that great proclamation, they sang. And so, and so that's why we do those things when we gather. We proclaim God's truth and we uh, sing his praises. And so let me just give you just a bullet list here. As you read through the New Testament, what do God's people do when they gather? They sing. They preach the word of God. Um, they give testimony. And that's why this year you're going to hear different stories from different people telling you their their story of what, what God has done in their lives, how Jesus has saved them. How we pray together. That's why after services, we welcome anyone to come up front and, and pray. And there'll be leaders here to pray with you. Or we pray with each other in the foyer. We pray during the services. Um, we give offerings for the progress of ministry and to meet the needs of the poor. So that's why we collect offerings. We see that in the New Testament. And um, we practice... They're called the ordinances, things that Jesus asked us to do. So we, we, we take communion that reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we celebrate baptisms where people put on display the gospel as they tell their story, how they met Jesus. And then we encourage one another. When we gather, we're here to, to encourage, to speak encouraging words and uh, to exhort each other to keep following Jesus. That's why we do what we do. So let me just say this. We, we, we are, I am too, so guilty of just not seeing what's going on when we gather. If we could put on glasses that would enable us to see in the spiritual realm. Guys, when we gather, this is an amazing place. It has nothing to do with the bricks and mortar. It has nothing to do with this room. It doesn't have anything to do with who maybe happens to be speaking or playing a guitar. But if you could look at what happens when this, in this room when people come and gather to worship Jesus. You are seeing, let's just pull one of those people out. Remember, during the week, that is a person loved by God, pursued by God, um, empowered by God's spirit to meet with God. If we could just see one of us during the week walking through Iowa City with those spiritual lenses on, we go, that is powerful right there. Look at that person. They look pretty average and normal on the outside, but look what's going on in that person's heart. Look at that connection that person has with God. Look at the Holy Spirit inside that person, encouraging them, giving them direction. That is amazing. But now like you take that one and bring in another and another and another and another and another and another, and you bring them all into one room with that one spirit, 
who's really there to help us focus on Jesus and to see him more clearly and to line our lives more up with him right now, that would just absolutely blow us away. Like what's happening in that room? Like what's, what's going on? It happens in no other place on this planet except for where God's people gather to worship, to hear the truth proclaimed and then respond with song. You can see those spots all over the world today. You would just be blown away like, God, you are showing up and you are present with those people. That is awesome, okay? And so forgive us, Lord, for just like coming in. Oh, the coffee's a little cold today. Oh, somebody's sitting in my seat. Oh, I hope we don't sing that song today. Oh, crap, Doug's preaching today. Like, just, you know, when we come in with all of that, it's just like, gosh, we are missing out on what God is doing in our midst. You know, there are, there are times, though, where I'm just reminded of that. You've heard me tell this, but in Easter 2017, remember this story, the guy uh, who just came out to me in the foyer after the third service, and he just came up to me and he goes, something just happened to me in there. And I go, okay, did somebody steal from him? Did somebody say something mean to him? Like, I go, what just happened? He goes, I don't know. I just felt like I met God in there. And as he told me his story, his son had tried to kill himself the day before. So from out of town, he rushed him down to the University of Iowa hospital. And then this dad spent the night ODing on opioids all night long. Looked at his, looked in the morning for church. It's Easter. Parkview popped up first and he came here. Do you have one of these in my hometown? Like one of these, you mean like a church? Like, again, like something happened to me in there. And guys, just, just been tracking with that guy for the last year and a half. And God did meet with him in here. Uh, last week, I heard a story. One of you uh, was in the foyer after the service last week and just kind of noticed somebody just kind of standing there alone. And this person went up and go, are you okay? Like how, how introduce themselves. And the person just said, I just need to pray. I, feel, I just feel like I, I just met God in there and I need to pray about something. And boom. Like, guys, every once in a while I get those reminders, but guys, that goes on in here every single week, right? When we gather to worship, we gather in the presence of a God who enjoys our presence, who loves that we're here. Um, he loves it when we make much of his son, when we're, we're talking about Jesus, we're following Jesus, we're singing praises to Jesus. And God meets right here in our midst, and that's what he loves to do. That's what we need to do. Like, that's what he commands us to do, not to add one more chore to our lives or to make our lives boring or to take away more of our time. Oh, God, you keep taking my time. No, it's like, you guys need this. You need to gather together because it's hard following me in the world out there. You're going to be pulled away. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be told a bunch of lies. And so you need to gather in a place where you're going to hear truth. You're going to sing praises to Jesus. You're going to be around other people that are following what I love about Parkview is you're going to be around other people of all kinds of ages, different backgrounds, different life stages of what's going on. But what unites us is that we're following Jesus together. And so uh, let's just, God, open our eyes and just show us what really goes on here. So let me just ask and answer two questions and we're done. So first one is this. When we worship, who is our audience? When we worship, who's our audience? These come from a, a book by Mike Cosper. It's called Rhythms of Grace. So when we worship, who's our audience? First, maybe the no-brainer answer is like, well, God. And, and that's a good answer. Yeah, we come in the presence of God to worship him. And so can you please remember, like some of you may be coming into church feel like, I don't belong here. Like, what am I doing here? I can't, and I hear that from people at different times, and it just breaks my heart. It's like none of us belong here. 
No one, no one deserves to come into the presence of God, but the God whose presence we come into is a God who is gracious and a God who loves sinners and a God who is thrilled you are here. So we come into the presence of God who loves us, who is our rock and our refuge, and this is a place where we give him time to speak to us and where he is our focus and our attention is on him. So definitely God is our audience. How about this? The, another audience is each other, all right? We see that in Colossians 3. You see it in Ephesians 5, that we're to do this together because that when we sing and when we proclaim, we're not just singing to God, but we're also singing to each other. We're reminding each other about the truths that we believe. Even your presence here this morning, I mean, I look around the room and I see that you guys, it's the last Sunday before school starts. You could be somewhere else, but you chose to come here just your action of coming to be in the presence of God is making a statement. Like, I believe in God. I need God. I love God. Like, even just your presence is firing me up this morning, all right? So, but there are Sundays, too, where I'm sitting up here ready to speak, and I'll hear you guys singing over me. There are Sundays where my heart is distracted, or who am I to get up here and preach now? But I hear you guys singing the truths of God, and each voice representing a life that is truly believing this and following it. Guys, that fires me up. Even if you think you can't sing, like you standing up and singing is, is breathing life and fire into the people around you. So each other is an audience. And the watching world, you know, we read from Psalm 96, God wants us to sing his praises and to praise him in front of the nations. He wants the nations to see his people gathering and worshiping him. So I feel like I I failed as a dad because like I've taken my family on trips to Colorado and Wyoming and Montana, and we have never seen one of the big five. Like, so remember they always talk about like, did you see a bear? Did you see a moose? Did you see a wolf? Did you see a mountain lion? Whatever else would be in the top five, I got nothing, okay? There was even a time we were in Colorado, and a local guy says, oh, you want to see all those? Man, I got this hike. We've got to go at dusk. I always see bears. There's always bears in this. Sure enough, we hike with this guy for about an hour and a half, and we see nothing, all right? Absolutely nothing. Bugs me. Like, all these other families go, oh, yeah, we saw a bear. We saw a moose. We saw, like, my kids are like, I've just cursed our family, we even shut out. So, I mean, if you expand that list from top five, now, like, go to top 50, I can say we've seen chipmunks, like, we've seen squirrels, so, like, I can, go, I can go with you down there, but I've never been able to be top five, which is why, especially, like, a dad like me then, towards these last couple trips, like, if you see a bunch of people pulling off the road, and there's a crowd gathering, like, guys, that's top five right there. I promise you that's not for a chipmunk. Like, let's, let's go see what they're looking like, and inevitably we show up, oh, you should have just seen him, and there was a bear, and it just, like, went into, so good enough, but, but the whole point is this, like, when you see a crowd gathering, and they're all looking, you say, man, there's something awesome there, and so that's what our statement is we make to the world around us, that when we discipline ourselves, to gather regularly, to worship. We are making a statement. The people around us, they see you like, what is it that's drawing you? Especially maybe if they were to come and watch us on a Sunday morning and just see us and see the variety of people and ages all gathered. Like, what is, what's drawing you? And it's like, well, what's drawing us is the reality that we get to be in the presence of God because of how awesome Jesus is and the things that Jesus has done for us. So what's my role then? If I, when I come to worship on a Sunday morning, what's my role? Let me give you three. Number one, be present. 
means make it a commitment to be here, to, to come. I hear so many times people say, man, I so much didn't want to go. But man, when I went and left, I felt that was the right thing to do. Like you just hear that all the time. There's so many excuses, but be present. Like, so not just come, but when you come, be present. Like keep your eyes open. Who can you talk to? Who can you encourage? Who can you introduce yourself to? Never underestimate just the power of just even conversation when we gather together. Be present, be prepared. What if during the week, part of your reason for worshiping with God individually was, I want to be ready to have something to share when I go gather with everybody else. Like, I want to be prepared. I don't want to step into that cold. So you prepare for a date. You prepare for an interview. Why don't we prepare to come and worship God? So we're prepared. We're, we're coming, and here's the third one. Um, we're coming to participate. We're coming to participate. That Mike Cosper asked this question, is corporate worship for you like a concert hall or is it like a banquet hall? Is it a concert hall or a banquet hall? Do you come to, to just watch and observe and spectate and critique or do you come to participate? Do you come, uh, to, do you come hungry and do you come and share a meal with everybody else? And so my encouragement about participate is, is come and be ready to share, be ready to speak, be ready to, to point people to things that God has done for you that week. Um, seek out people to, to listen to and to pray for, but come to participate. Guys, um, I would just encourage that even before services start, uh, you come in and some of us come and sit early. I mean, just don't hesitate to look around. Maybe it feels stupid and awkward at first, but like just go and, and just start talking to people you don't know. Like just, just realize there is a, a common pull that's bringing us here. There's a common ad- admission that we need God and we are here to worship him. And so even just your presence of going and talking to um, and getting to know people just really en- enhances this whole situation. So come ready to participate. So let's do this. Let's close in prayer. Let me give you two, two things to respond to and then I'll just let you pray to God. The first one is this. The God of the universe says to you, come to me. I enjoy your presence. What's your response to him this morning? The God of the universe says, come to me. I enjoy your presence. What is your response to him this morning? And the second one is this. The God of the universe has spoken to us and has said, I want you to gather together. I want there to be a, I want there to be a rhythm in your life where you intentionally gather with God's people to hear his word proclaimed and to hear Jesus sung to. And so what's your response to that invitation this morning? God says, I want you to gather with my people in my presence. What's your response? God, my prayer is when we as a church this year in three different locations gather, we just pray that we would do what you're calling us to do, that Jesus would be made very clear each time we gather, that we would worship him and what he's done for us, that we as a people would encourage each other, would, would spur each other on to follow Jesus more passionately. Jesus, I pray that we would gather and sing to you, we would just sing from hearts that are just blown away how good you are. 
And I pray that you would strengthen us, God, as we wanna follow Jesus. I pray you'd use these times where we gather here, where they gather on East Campus, they gather on North Campus, that you would just speak to your people, that you give us direction, comfort, power. And God, there would just be many, many stories this year of people just blown away by the reality that they've been in the presence of God. We love you. Thank you for this great chance. Thank you for these people. God, thank you for this church. In your name we pray. Amen.